You know, over the past few years, I've developed an, an organizational system that's about making sure that I don't drop the ball on some key things. And so I've, I've created this to-do list, or I haven't created it, Google's created it and I have adopted it. It's a system that connects to my email and to my calendar and to tell you the truth, it's fantastic. It looks something like this when I look at it on my phone. Now, that, in general, it works really well, but this week and next week, I have a big problem. And the problem is, is before Christmas, before Christmas, Josh said, you know what? That's something that can wait till the new year. Why worry about it right now? And there were some good reasons for it. Like, you know, we were focused on Christmas and things kind of slowed down. And, and so accomplishing some of these things on the to-do list didn't seem so important. But guess what? It's the new year. And so all those things that I said, I'll do that later, and I rescheduled on my to-do list are going to be screaming at me come Monday morning. That's tomorrow. It's going to say, hey, these are all the things you said you were going to do time to do it. And it's here. And it's not just, you know, my work to do list because there's been some conversations that we've had at home over the past month or so about some things that are fairly important that, that we decided could wait until the new year. We could wait until after the holidays to work on, but here we are. And my guess is that I'm not the only one who's coming into this new year with a feeling that there are some things that we need to prioritize. That maybe for a variety of reasons we've put things on hold for a little bit, but now it's the new year, it's time to make some progress on these things. Maybe it has to do with our schoolwork. You know, for a variety of reasons we kind of let some things slip, but this is going to be the year where we buckle down and we, get, we d deal with our grades and we get our grades up. This is, this is going to be the time for that. Or maybe it has to do with our financial situation. We want to get a handle on our spending and we want to figure out what our plans for the future is going to be. Maybe that's what's coming our way over the next little bit. Or maybe it has to do with our relationships. You know, we have recognized that some of our relationships we've let slide, whether it be the relationship with our spouse or with our kids or somebody else. You know, we've let some of these things slide and, and we want to reinvest ourselves into the people around us. Or maybe it has to do with our health. You know, there are some steps in our health journey that we've been putting off, but we feel like now's the time to get on it. You know, whatever is on our to-do list, we might find ourselves feeling like we need to start the new year off right and to make some progress on some things that are really good things. But before we dive in, this morning I want to invite us to consider our priorities and to consider what's actually at the top of our list. And to help us out with this, this morning we're going to explore a passage from the Old Testament from the book of Haggai where God challenges his people to make sure that their priorities are right. And the thing is, from their perspective, they would have said they were on track. They would have said that they, that, that they were good, that their priorities were right, that they were focused correctly. But God calls them in this passage to give careful thought to their ways and to reconsider their priorities. And so this morning, our big idea is that pursuing God's presence and guidance will lead us to what our hearts are looking for. And I think that's what we're going to see in this passage from Haggai this morning. Now, before we get to our, our scripture reading, I, I want to talk briefly about what's going on in the background uh, of this passage, so we have some context to understanding a little bit of what we're reading this morning. And it, it begins by recognizing that, the, that God's people, the history of God's people, uh, begins well before Jesus, and it's the story about how God repeatedly chooses to engage people like us, despite our propensity to forget about him and to, to engage in some destructive behaviors, and yet through all of that, God consistently invites people to recenter their lives on him. 
And at Christmas, we celebrate the climax of the story as God comes in person to be with us and to rescue us so that we could know him forever in the way that he hoped it would be, so that we would know him in the way that God hoped that we would. Now, the story of God's people have quite a number of ups and downs. You know, after God establishes the nation of Israel, they really do struggle to live out this calling to be God's people. And eventually, they find themselves conquered by the Babylonians in the 6th century B.C. And it's the practice of the Babylonians, it's the practice of the Babylonians to take the ruling class and those who were skilled at trades and to take them away from their country of origin and to deport them, leaving the conquered nations leaderless and poor. And the stories of Daniel and Esther that we find in the Old Testament are stories of of a couple of the people who got carried off from home and were living in exile. Now, for a time, uh, the people who had been deported, the exiles, you know, they sat around waiting to go home. You know, they they thought, well, we're just, like, hopefully we're just going to go home soon. Like, how long is this going to last? But eventually, the prophet Jeremiah tells God's people, he says, settle down here. You know, build houses, create roots. Work for the betterment of the society for which you're living in. And many of the people did just that. They followed those instructions. And then came a a change in leadership and policy. And permission was given for these exiles to move home again if they wanted to do so. But after 50 plus years of living far from home, many people didn't want to go home. They had homes now. They had wives in the place that they'd moved to. And we can imagine that there's a whole generation of people who'd never lived in Israel before. Why would I go there? That's not home to me. But a small group of people do return home, and they begin the process of rebuilding their ancestral homes. Now, when they return home, they faced a number of difficulties. This was not straightforward. It was rather difficult. See, over time, their farmland wasn't in good condition because nobody cared for it. And their ancestral homes were in disrepair. Picture what would happen to your house and your yard and your gardens if you got up and you left and you came back 25, 30, 50 years later. What would it look like? It wouldn't look very good. It would take some work to get it back if you could ever get it back. And they add to this the, the reality that those who had been left, be home, left behind had taken over the property of those who had been taken off to exile. Again, can you blame them? You don't know if they're coming back. Here's your opportunity to, to, to work some property that you didn't have before. And so there was this complex legal situation that had to be navigated as he had to reconcile the rights of those who were returning with those who had been left behind. I mean, that's a difficult situation to work through. And then when they did start to try to rebuild things, they faced opposition from those who lived in the countries around them. I mean, they weren't too thrilled to see uh, God's people start to rebuild their lives and maybe, you know, gain prominence and be independent. Like, it was to the advantage of the neighboring nations that they, they didn't become strong again. So they, they, um, they faced opposition there. And so with these and other issues pressing... It's no surprise that that those returning home felt little urgency to rebuild the temple, which was one of the things that was completely and utterly destroyed. Instead, they focused on rebuilding their lives by by focusing on homes and restoring agricultural production. And to tell you the truth, that makes complete and total sense. It made complete sense at first. But years passed. And God spoke through the prophet Haggai as well through the the prophet Zechariah who urged the people to get their priorities straight and to begin rebuilding the temple. And so that forms the background of what we're going to read in just a few moments. 
Now, last Christmas, we got our kids a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. And so the last year has been defined by our kids playing video games and us spending a lot of time watching kids play video games. And for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. But there was one day in the fall where the kids are at school, I was off, Michelle was working, and so I sat there and I thought, you know what, I've been watching these kids play that game for a long time. I've got an hour to kill. I'm going to play video games. And I started playing it, and it was, it was fun, I tell you the truth. And, and, and then this Christmas, we got them another video game. So this is what, it's only been seven days since Christmas. I don't know how many hours I put into this new video game. And I'm, not, I'm further ahead than the kids, like by far to the point that they would now want to play my game because I'm further ahead than them, and I don't want them to, okay? I don't want them to because I'm afraid they're going to ruin my stuff, okay? They, they want to get play with the things that I've earned. They want to take on my challenges. They, they want to do my thing, and I don't want them to touch it because I'm afraid they're going to ruin it because they will. <laughs> um, now, as I tell you this story, I know in my heart that I'm being really selfish, okay? They're five and they're seven, <laughs> And I'm missing an opportunity here to bond with my kids, which is really the point of playing a game like this in the first place. It's, the point is not for a 41-year-old to beat The Legend of Zelda, all right? But my ambitions for video game greatness is causing me to lose the plot, which is kind of our first point this morning, that our pursuit of comforts can cause us to lose track of what really matters. And so we're going to read a couple verses from Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. That's the temple. When the word of the Lord came through the, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while, the, while this house remains ruined? These verses begin with, with God recounting the conversations that the people have had about how it's not yet time to rebuild the temple. It's not time yet to work on, on the temple. Now, the history of God's people and, and, and the temple is, is, is significant. The temple played a significant part in their, in their lives. Yeah, it, on the one hand, it, it served the function of being a physical place of worship, but it was so much more than that. The temple was a symbol of God's presence with his people, and it was a symbol of who they were as God's people. The temple gave them a focal point that could help them keep track of what really mattered in life. But in everything that had happened... Rebuilding the temple had fallen off the priority list. And I think we can understand why, at least at first, right? But here, God is pointing out that their initial reasons for not rebuilding the temple had become excuses. And we see these are excuses in the way that, that the description of these houses that the people were living in. The NIV calls them paneled houses. The New Living Translation calls them luxurious houses. The CEV calls them expensive houses. You get the idea. See, they, it seems that they had moved from ensuring that they had the necessities of life to focusing on accumulating comforts and wealth for themselves. They'd moved beyond survival. They'd moved into that, how can we be comfortable? How can we gain more for ourselves? And I really do think that God understood when the temple was not a priority when they were struggling to survive. I do. But this is no longer the case. Their focus had shifted, and this right here is a call for them to re-examine their priorities because, as we're going to see next, if they don't, they're going to miss out. 
You know, I, I think that this focus on accumulating comfort and wealth, this, this theme is something that very much can connect with our experience here and now as North American Christians. You know, every day we are sold the promise that certain products, certain services, certain experiences will make our lives better and will bring uh, us things like happiness, joy, and contentment. And most of the time, these products, these services, these experiences, they're fine. There's nothing really wrong with it intrinsically, but we need to be aware that the focus and the attention that we give to these things can lead us away from seeking God's influence in our lives. Instead, life can become all about us. And this reality takes us away from God. And this passage today invites us to reflect on how our pursuit of comforts, however we might define those, may have caused us to lose track of God's presence and his guidance for our lives. One of the conversations that you've likely had this morning as you kind of grabbed your cup of coffee uh, this morning is somebody probably said to you, hey, how was your Christmas, right? I mean, we've had that people ask us of this a fair bit. Just yesterday, we were in the grocery store and one our, we bumped into one of our neighbors and they said, first thing they said was, hey, how was your Christmas? And our response actually was to say, it's been kind of quiet. It's been kind of quiet. But the, here's the thing. Our Christmas really wasn't that quiet, okay? In fact, we've done a whole lot of things. We spent two days, two different days with, with two different groups of family. We've got another one coming up today, so there'll be three. We've connected with different friends for meals. The kids went tobogganing with a friend. They've had, a, they've had friends over. We've played games. We've done puzzles. We've taken naps. We've read books. It, it hasn't been quiet, as in, like, we haven't done anything. But maybe it was quiet in terms of whether it lived up to the expectations that we had going into Christmas. Maybe it was when we, our response quiet has to do with, it wasn't quite as spectacular as we, maybe we were thinking, but it wasn't quiet in the sense that we didn't do anything. In fact, it was a pretty good Christmas. You know, often, it's often the case that our experience doesn't live up to our expectations. Sometimes we find ourselves pleasantly surprised. Well, other times we find ourselves wondering, how on earth did things get to being the way that they are? How did we get here? And this is sort of our, uh, the prompt in our second point this morning, that through this passage, God invites us to reflect on whether our experience is what we, would ho- what we hoped it would be. So let's read a couple more verses from Haggai. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You know, as God speaks, he invites his people to to reflect on how life is going. And in particular here, he's inviting them to connect the dots between their lack of concern for rebuilding the temple and how they seem to be coming up short in other areas of life. See, in their focus on themselves, they'd forgotten about the special relationship that they had with God, and they were missing out on the blessings that came with being God's people. And so God's call to give careful thought to their ways is an invitation to recognize what they're missing out on. Now, here's something that I know is true in my life. Completely, totally true. When my goal becomes about getting more of, and whatever, fill in the blank. When my goal becomes about getting more, what I soon find out is that I will never have enough. In fact, I might develop a fear of going without, or a fear of being left behind. 
when my goal becomes about getting more of whatever. Or I might develop a, a sense of inadequacy or, or poor self-worth because I've attached my understanding of who I am with whatever it is that I have in my sights. Or when my goal becomes about getting more, I might uh, realize that I'm ignoring the good things that I have and I make myself miserable about the one thing that I don't. I think you might understand this. In this passage, God is calling his people and he's calling us to give careful thought to the choices that we make because what we have our sights set on may be leading us away from what we truly need, what we truly are longing for. Jesus in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 invites his listeners to identify what their treasure is. You know, Jesus is saying, what is the most important thing to you? And in the verses before and after this, Jesus calls his listeners to not make their priority earthly treasures because those things never last, he says. Instead, he invites them to turn their attention to what he calls treasures in heaven. Our passage today invites us to identify how the things that we've become maybe obsessed with are in fact causing us to miss out on something, on so much better things. And this leads us to our final point this morning. That God invites us to consider what it might mean to re or to organize our lives around his presence. And so let's read our last couple of verses from Haggai, starting at verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. We'll just leave it at that. You know, in these verses, God is once again calling his people, and he's calling us to give careful thought to our ways. Give careful thought to what you are doing and its ramifications, God's saying. Give careful thought. Stop. Think about what it is that, that you're, you're focused in on. Think about what it is that you're doing. Just, just think. But God isn't leaving them to figure it out all by themselves. Instead, he gives them direction, almost saying that, hey, if you want this better way, Try this. And he gives them directions for what they should be doing to begin rebuilding the temple. Now, if we were to keep reading through Haggai, and Haggai is only two chapters long, and so you can read that fairly easily on, on your own, but if we were to keep reading, we would hear about how when they did uh, rebuild the temple, that, that some of the people said, like, you know, people who had seen the temple previously, the previous incarnation of the temple, when they saw it, they, they said, man, this really pales in comparison to what we knew before. But even that, even despite that, God promises that he will be present in that place, that his spirit will come and live with his people, and that the glory that will rest in that place will be bigger and better than it ever was before. See, it really wasn't about the building so much as it was about the investment of their attention and their priorities. See, when they got things pointed in the right direction, when they got things pointed towards God, they experienced what the promise was that they would experience what they truly needed, and that was God's presence with them. And so this morning, I wonder what it would look like for us to intentionally invest our attention and our priorities into seeking God's presence and guidance. I wonder what it might look like. And as I've looked at this passage over the course of this week, I get a sense that there's a full stop that is required. There's a full stop of some of my activities that's involved in this. And I wonder what this might mean for us. For the people in Haggai's day, the full stop was stop building your fancy houses here 
and, folk, and redirect your attention. For us, what might that mean? Is it a break from online shopping for a bit? Is it a pause on our home improvement projects? Is it ceasing to add more dates and commitments to our already full calendars? Is it stepping away from hobbies that take up large amounts of our time? Again, God calls us to, to give careful thought to our ways. And so it would be good for each of us to give some thought to this. And what would it mean for, to, for us to invest in things that result in us experiencing God's presence and God's guidance? What would that look like? Is it re-engaging in regular patterns of spiritual practices like reading scripture and starting our day off with prayer? Is it, is it that? Because when we do things like that, we are making space to turn our attention to God and, 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 and to learn what he thinks is important. Maybe it's slowing down to seek God's direction and to seek God's heart before making a, that, that next big decision in our lives. Often we just kind of charge ahead, at least I do, just charge ahead. Like, I know what I want. But to slow it down and to say, God, what do you think about this? And then to make space to sit with that is important. You know, before we rush into the demands of, the, of our goals and our to-dos of the next year, we ought to slow down to ensure that we are investing ourselves into things that help us experience God's presence and God's guidance. Because as we invest in things that help us experience God's presence and God's guidance, what we're going to find is that we discover what it is that our hearts truly are looking for. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are encouraged to not give up meeting together. You know, there's something really important about followers of Jesus meeting together like we are doing this morning. That what we are doing when we meet together is we're making the decision to step away from the other things that we could be doing, maybe the things that we feel like we should be doing, and for a time focus our, our attention on Jesus and his presence and seeking his direction for our lives. And the beautiful thing is that we're doing it together. We can look around right now this morning and re recognize that we are not alone in trying to do this. But there are others that are like us that are seeking God's presence for our lives. In the time of Haggai, the temple was the symbol of God's presence and his, a symbol of his life with his people. But what we just celebrated at Christmas was, was how God's presence and God's life has moved beyond the temple and has to come be with us in the person of Jesus. And so our practice of communion this morning is one way that, that we are, are focusing our, our minds, we're focusing our hearts on Jesus and on his presence with us as a way that we are seeking God's, God's presence and guidance for our lives as we focus on Jesus being God with us and we are focusing on what Jesus ha has done to rescue us from our sins. And so in just a few moments, we are going to participate in communion together. But before we do, we're just going to spend a couple moments in prayer. And I'd encourage us to allow God's word. He said this twice in this passage. Be care, give careful thought to your ways. He says that twice. To allow that to guide our prayer time this morning. And so before I, I say any words of prayer, we're just going to start with some quiet. And I just encourage you to reflect on that. To say, God, what are you saying to me as we prepare for communion? Please join me in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this space. We thank you for this time in the midst of our holiday celebrations, in the midst of the things that we've got going on that we're anticipating. And Lord, this morning we, we hear you inviting us to give the careful thought to our ways. Lord Jesus, this morning as we prepare for communion, we, we begin by confessing, Lord, that, uh, that, that our thoughts, our ambitions, our dreams are not as often shaped by you as perhaps they should be. Or that often we are more selfish than we wish. Or often we are greedier than we ought to be. Or that the desires of our heart are not always pure. Lord, this morning we lay before you our shortcomings, our failures, the things we just haven't gotten right. And Lord, we say, God, we need you. And God, for those, way, those times where, we, where we have, we've gone against your intentions, against your desires, we ask for your forgiveness. Knowing that you, have, you are eager to forgive us and to have us enjoy your love and your life. And so, Lord, as we prepare for communion, help us to enter into a posture of seeking you in new and fresh ways. Lord, guide our time together. Amen.